0: Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8com
1: The Board of Human Rights First actually came to me on January 7th and the weeks thereafter and said, you've been building this technology inside of HRF. What's your plan to actually share with the private sector, with the government? Because clearly signals were missed.
2: Welcome to Needle Stack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Jeff Phillips, promoted this week from co-host and filling in for Matt Ashburn,
3: and I'm Aubrey Byron, a producer on Needlestack, and I'm joining Jeff behind the mic while Matt is away.
2: Now, today we're continuing our series on fact-checking and debunking with a very special guest, Dr. Welton Chang. At the heart of a fact-checked or debunk is misinformation or the suspicion of misinformation. That's why today Welton is joining us. He is the co-founder and CEO of Pira Technologies, an intelligent solution for dark social media and the disinformation that resides there. He's also the former CTO and currently a senior advisor for Human Rights First. Welton Chang, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Thanks, Aubrey. It's great to be here.
2: Super excited to talk with you. Um, let's start off. Welton, can can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started in intelligence?
1: Yeah. So I came to this work uh, from. A career spent in the army and at the defense intelligence agency, where between the two places I served a combined close to a decade and then went off, decided that I was going to skill up a little bit and went to the University of Pennsylvania where I got a PhD essentially in data science. And around that time, when, when I was, when I graduated, everybody was talking about disinformation and its effects on the 2016 election. And so I thought to myself, what better way to kind of continue serving um, than to apply the skills that I just got at Penn to the problem at hand. So wound up going to Johns Hopkins, the applied physics lab there where I led a number of teams and projects building technical solutions for the US government to try to detect foreign interference on social media. And that's essentially how I got the start to really dive into what's going on online uh, in these spaces and directly leads to the work that I'm doing today at Pure.
3: And can you tell us a little bit about the work of Pura Tech and what made you want to start that company?
1: Yeah, so our origin story is not that Typical for venture-backed startups, we actually got our our um, we actually started out as a project R and D project inside Human Rights First, where I was the first chief technology officer. And January the sixth happened uh, while while I was in that role. We were building a system called Extremis Explorer at HRF, which was collecting data from small alternative social media sites, as well as larger ones like Twitter and Reddit. And the lead up to the Capitol attack, we had observed an uptick in chatter uh, across these platforms. And the 6, you know, 2.30 PM, 1 o'clock, folks are streaming into the Capitol building. Um, I remember at that point saying to myself that I think that we're going to be um, embarking on something new. And so the board of human rights first actually came to me on January the 7th and the weeks thereafter and said, you've been building this technology inside of HRF. What's your plan to actually share it with the private sector, with the government, because clearly signals were missed. And so we started, down the path of um, basically trying to think about ways how we commercialize technology, building an actual company from a prototype platform at that stage, um, and that's how Pure got its start uh, in, in the space.
2: Well, that's uh, it's, it's amazing timing. Unfortunate timing, I guess, with January <laughs> six, but um, but that's 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 crazy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, so what, what kind of dis- when we talk about disinformation, you know, are there are there different kinds of dis- dif- disinformation that you track, or and, and what are some of the trends you're seeing around uh, disinformation lately?
1: Yeah, so I think one thing to understand about Pura is that as a platform, we serve to enable our our clients to pull back and find the kinds of content that they find concerning. So some of our existing clients are, are nonprofits who are investigating things like domestic extremism, anti-vax movements, those types of anti-trans um, uh, rhetoric, those types of phenomena that are happening online. So the system is capable of detecting that content because what we're doing essentially is pulling in um, data from all these different sites, and then piping it through a pipeline that detects the narratives that our users care about. So our users will put in a narrative and then the system will say, hey, to what extent does what the user care about resemble the kind of content that we're pulling back and then surface to the top those things that score very highly. So from a technical perspective, we don't actually determine what's disinformation The system is, it enables our clients to figure out when there's concerning content, concerning narratives that are floating around in these spaces. Um, And and it's not up to us to make that that value judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that being said, the other thing the system enables us to do is to understand trends and understand what's going on across these communities. What are the topics that people are talking about? What are the things that, um, come along with highly hateful, highly violent, um, content, right? So that's the other thing that system, our system does is it detects, um, when content is violent, offensive, hateful, and these other categories of speech that we've been uh, building models for, for the last several years. And so you can imagine, um, the, the content that we're pulling back, when we see topics associated with highly violent um, um, thoughts, then we're able to, 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 to show that and to, and to say, hey, look, this is something that's of concern, either to a client or just in, in general, things that we put out as part of our weekly Intel products.
3: You mentioned that you don't just look at, you know, Twitter and Facebook, but you look into some more alternative social media sites. um, Why do you think it's important to look there as well?
1: Yeah, so right now, we actually don't do any Twitter or Facebook. Um, Our focus is on this alternative space. And what we've observed over the last two, three years is that enforcement actions taken by major platforms, deplatforming users that are uh, essentially frequent flyers of disinformation, Um, And hate and violence, it's pushed those folks and their audiences and communities to the fringe, to smaller sites like Gab, Getter, these alternative spaces where, as far as we can tell, anything goes. There's a distinct lack of content moderation. Google recently came out and said they're no longer supporting some of these applications because of the amount of violent content that's on them, the amount of death threats that are on them. And that is very consistent with what we observe um, on these platforms is because there's no either will to do content moderation or it's by explicit policy these these sites say anything goes, free speech for all. that's what has led to this um, festering social phenomena of um, this kind of content that it's, it really snowballs, right? Okay. One user will put a false theory about what happened, say in Uvalde, Texas, uh, with the school shooting there. And the next thing you know, other users are parroting that. And then it gains tr- a certain amount of traction starts to, to move across these platforms. And in a blink of an eye, it's migrated over to Twitter. And it's now the latest kind of conspiracy theory that's um, you know kind of floating around in these communities. And the, the, that's the reason why we think that the alternative space is where to pay attention to, because it's more and more um, the hospitable host for highly violent, highly um, hateful content and then it makes its way, migrates over to the mainstream platforms once it's gained traction on these smaller smaller sites.
3: Gotcha.
2: Yeah, that's super interesting (laughs) that that's the source and then it migrates.
3: Um, We actually, I had an article not long ago about um, for open source intelligence researchers social media sites that you should use in addition to Twitter, because you know, Twitter is the big hub. Do you have your own list of sites that you think in particular for understanding disinformation people should be looking at?
1: I think the biggest ones for researchers to pay attention to are 4chan and uh, Telegram public channels. So just in terms of like audience reach and engagement and activity, those two, to me, stand out as places where a lot of this um, content is being propagated, generated, originated. Discus comments, actually, I, I think if you were to ask your audience, you know, the last time they went to go read comments below a news article, um, it can get pretty—I'll I'll just say—contentious in those comments, uh, and we have found that the amount of Noxious content on places like Discus uh, is also some uh, a place to pay attention to. It's harder to monitor for individual researchers because you have to go to all these different places and you know essentially either run your own scripts or to use manual copy paste. And that's one of the benefits of our platform is that we're ingesting from um, these platforms you know close to 100 million posts every single week, and that. We, we retain all that data, and then we also make it very easily searchable for our clients. Um, you know, take that take that heavy lift off their shoulders of having to go and do all this research manually. Um, it's one of the, the core benefits of, of the Pure platform.
3: That's awesome. Um,
2: yeah, that is awesome. Let's maybe we poke a little bit on that um, in terms of in machine learning came up came up earlier. You know, so. What is the role of the role of machine learning and algorithms in both, I guess, in the rise of extremism? And you know how, how is that technology and AI helping or hurting, and or hurting?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the name of your podcast, right? That's one of the reasons why I thought it was really apt. Um, when you have, let's say, let's say you start out with a billion posts. Right. Whether look, that's that's how many posts happen on Facebook in like 12 hours or something like that. Right. Even if your A.I. is 99 percent accurate, you're still pulling back millions of false positives. Right. So that's that's the needle stack. Right. If your haystack right. is that big, your needle stack winds up being, you know, uh, almost incomprehensible for humans. And so what we try to do is first neck down, you know, we think of it as a data funnel. At the top of that funnel is all of our injection capability and then we start to neck down to just the topics that our users care about so if they're a company maybe they care about their ceo's name maybe they care about their brand name variations on their brand name maybe some key locations like their headquarters building things like that and then we use our ai pipeline to um, further distill that content down to just the most violent the most hateful right? You can sort by those different scores that are available on our platform so that you you wind up going from tens of thousands of posts to just the handful that matter, the handful that you have to pay attention to, to do deep dives into the users that are propagating that information, to whether or not this is now a trend uh, for a narrative that multiple people, many different users believe that sort of thing. Uh, and that's I think where the ai comes in and, and is really helpful is going from that needle stack to just yeah that that handful of needles that you need to you need to care about
3: can you um talk a little bit about how the pandemic has affected the spread of disinformation have you seen a change and are there other major events that you're seeing playing a role
1: i mean part of this is just anecdotal and just from experience and I think it sort of makes sense when you start thinking about how our lives changed as a result of having to do, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, almost years of social distancing, um, meeting only virtually instead of in person. Uh, I think we're just a much more isolated and separated. And, and there's some research that backs this up, like just overall, just more depressed population. Like we've all just kind of gone through this very, um, in some ways, traumatic experience of having to live with uh, now a now endemic disease um, that was very very harmful to millions of Americans, um, and I think that people saw social media as an outlet at that stage, right? Like you can't get s- sick really from from you know being on Twitter too much, uh, although yeah, <laughs> mentally maybe, maybe mentally I should take that back. Sick. Yeah, yeah I, mentally I exactly. You know, um, so we've seen an upsurge in activity. And, and and of course, the pandemic itself was a topic, right? Whether it was people going after Moderna and Pfizer for their vaccines, calling them unsafe, and then all the way to the conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and mind control and using the, that there were nanoparticles inside the vaccines that were going to um, communicate with 5G towers to basically control you. Um, you know, we all know that no, none of that is true, but there are communities of folks that have grown up around the pandemic that continue to believe that these things are, are happening in our society today. Um, and you can't blame social media by itself. You can't blame the pandemic by itself. These factors are tied up in um, kind of broader societal um, trends and issues that we observe, whether it's our, our public education system and our ability to think critically and how fast things move online. And it all kind of played into this melting pot that we now observe as the alternative social media space where the crazy really takes hold and people believe all sorts of um, really, really, uh, you know, far out there, outlandish theories about how the world works.
2: Welton, you and Pira operate in a really interesting space. I I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know. Can you go home and sleep at night after following all of this this stuff? Um, But as we start to wrap up, maybe, um, you know, any thoughts about any tips for professional researchers, things, um, you know, you found useful, um, you might share with the audience?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you touched on a little bit, self-care. You should be cognizant of your own uh, mental state as you wade through some of this content especially the more um toxic stuff that's out there and if any of your audience deals with things like child sexual abuse material things that are happening on the dark web um it can be greatly affecting over time you know and i'm a, a father of two um you know I've unfortunately had the experience of um, having gone overseas twice when I was in the army and at the IA, Uh, two tours in Iraq. Um, And I consider myself to be a fairly uh, mentally strong person, but even some of the content that we continue to observe, it it can be um, affecting emotionally. So just having an understanding of where your own mental state is at um, is super important. And then I think, you know, whether or not I can, Sleep well at night. You know, a big part of that is just to for your audience to know that the techniques that they apply to some of their work can be turned back onto them. Um, you know, as we've gotten more popular as a company, and as as we've gotten more public about our activities, uh, we've we've seen you know threats come our way, and so we've taken countermeasures. To eliminate our own data from places like data brokerages, um, and try to uh, maintain a firewall between some of the, the company activities and our own personal lives, right? And um, I don't, I don't have an Instagram account or a Facebook account, um, right? So you know, I think it's important for your your audience to take those measures as well because um, if if they're really good at something, uh, other people can can get uh, close to that, right? And you can take those same techniques and, and turn them back on on us as uh, concerned citizens, as uh, professionals who work in this space, and it can be a really uh, just a, a strange feeling when you're in the crosshairs. Um, and uh, you know, don't wish that on anybody. Uh, it's it's something that kind of comes with the territory of the work that we do, uh, but. Um, Kind of remind yourself that that the things that we do are important for the, the health of our democracy as well as for our families um, in the long run, um, and that's why we put up with things like getting threats thrown our way.
2: Well, that's that's great advice, and and using some of your skills, you know, again to look at yourself, um, I, I think that's super practical. Um, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Welton Chang. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch episodes on YouTube and view transcripts and other episode info on our website, authenticate.com/slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight.com slash needlestack. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at needlestackpod. We'll be back next time with more on fact checking and debunking. We'll see you then.
0: Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.